echo what our brother David said this morning, and that is we wish you a happy new year. A new year with new possibilities, with new opportunities, with hope for a better tomorrow than a yesterday. That's true for us individually as Christians, as we want what's best for each of us and our families. It's true for the congregation. And I appreciate Brother David talking so much about growth individually and growth as a congregation. And I invite you to open your Bibles and study together tonight as we continue in many ways talking about growth. And if you'd like to open in your Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings chapter 22, we'll spend the majority of our time there looking at spiritual restoration for me. I could have called this spiritual restoration for us, but if we restore ourselves individually spiritually, then collectively it's almost automatic that we restore ourselves spiritually. And so I went with the title of Spiritual Restoration for Me, Lessons for Christian Living from 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22 is most likely a part of the text that is a part of the Old Testament that is familiar to you. If it's not familiar to you, don't worry, you will be familiar with it after tonight. But this is the account of Josiah at the early part of his reign in Judah. And as you know, in Judah there were some good kings and there were some not-so-good kings and there were some kind of in-between. Josiah is typically seen, and I think rightly so, as being a good king. He is probably most notably known for, at least at the outset of his administration, boy, really, to take the throne. And we're going to look at 2 Kings 22, the first 17 verses. And rather than reading the first 17 verses and then coming back and making applications, I want us to piecemeal it by looking at three to five verses apiece and making an observation about those particular verses. It is important that we understand this particular text in light of Romans 15, verse 4, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the Bible tells us that things that were written before or in the Old Testament, paraphrasing Romans 15 verse 4, that they're written for our learning, that we are to learn from great men and women, and we're to learn from those who weren't so great as well. So I want to look at three things that I need to do. And I mentioned this either last Sunday or the Sunday before, uh, as the case was, that when I write sermons, I write them for the benefit of individuals who are listening, but I typically write them for the benefit of myself as well, because I figure if these are things that I need to work on, perhaps they are things that we all need to work on. And so these are things that as we make our resolutions, as we think about restoration, as we think about getting back to where we need to be spiritually at the start of a new year, are important for us. Number one, I need to appreciate the opportunities that God has provided and will provide for me in the future. To grow spiritually, which is what David talked about this morning, we need to always keep our eyes and our ears open to the opportunities that God provides for us. Now, God is not going to provide you with opportunities in some supernatural way that is void of his word. Sometimes you hear people saying, well, I'm waiting for God to lead me. I'm waiting for God to show me. Well, oftentimes God has already shown you the path. I'm not saying that God does not open doors for us and provide opportunities for us, but ultimately we use his word. The, the problem is, is sometimes 
people will say, well, God led me to this relationship or God led me to this opportunity in a workplace when it's clear that those are not spiritually mature, going back to our study this morning, choices that we are making. Opportunities, we need to understand, are not limited by age and are often found in our examples. That takes us to the text of 2 Kings chapter 22. It says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of the king Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, verse 4, Go up to the house, or say, go, go to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. Drop down to verse 6 and verse 7. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. More on that in just a moment. Let me start with a couple of quick observations. Number one is that when we think about opportunities that we are presented with, they are not limited by age. If you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, you'll see a parallel text here. Uh, but in 2 Kings chapter 22, you're dealing with a very young individual. And there are people who are here in this congregation who are very young, but yet have so much ability. We have people who not only lead in public worship services and people who serve behind the scenes, people who are teaching that are at a very young age. And those opportunities are not limited by age. Remember David, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, even before we get to the famous chapter 17 where we see David and Goliath played out, we see that David is a young man but yet was one who was associated with godliness and with a reverence and fear for the Lord. And then 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul wrote to Timothy and he acknowledged so much about his age when he said, you know, Timothy, in effect, you are a young man, but don't let that be a problem for you. He says in verse 12, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So he's saying, don't allow the fact that you don't have the same amount of spiritual maturity or experience that another Christian has to prevent you from serving where you can serve. Let me suggest, secondly, that opportunities are often found in our examples. And I use verse 7, which I read just a moment or so ago, because however there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand, because they deal faithfully. I think that's certainly appropriate that we think about that when someone is handling money, when somebody is handling finances, that we want them to be people of the utmost integrity, of the utmost accountability. And oftentimes, opportunities are found in our examples. It reminds me of a passage in 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 17, where we, t we made reference to this morning in our Bible class to the church at Thessalonica, 
that Paul writes, and he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, You have become examples to all in Macedonia, to all in Achaia who believe. If you can do nothing else, God gives you and will give you in 2021 the opportunity to be an example. You may say, I, I can't teach publicly. I can't teach a ladies' Bible class. I can't teach a children's class very effectively. There may be a lot of things that you cannot do, but rather than dwelling on those things, focus on the things that you can do. And one of the things that all of us can universally do is set good, consistent, constant examples for the purpose of God and His kingdom. What a powerful example that we have at our disposal to do that. So number one, I need to appreciate opportunities that are provided for me. Number two, I need to admit my need for upkeep. I don't know that there's ever been a <clears throat> first day of the week in January where I haven't at some point referenced in a sermon, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. I know that Peter didn't write those verses for preachers for New Year's Day or, or New Year's time sermons. But those verses there are just so appropriate where he talks about the growth of a Christian and that we are to add those seven things in the completion of the list of faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and the like. But the fact is, is spiritual growth, as David rightly pointed out this morning, is not something that we can put on automatic pilot. It would be nice if we come out of the waters of baptism and there was a switch on our arm that we just flipped up. Now I'm a Christian now. Now I've got that S underneath, right? And I'm ready to allow God to mature me. Instead, it requires our effort. And as sincere babes in Christ desire the pure milk of the word, so must we be like those early Christians as well, who hungered and thirsted for righteousness as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. Well, go to verse 4 of, of 2 Kings chapter 22. Go to verse 4 where it says, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. Might I suggest that to have spiritual upkeep, it's going to require our participation. That's true in a lot of areas. It's true in the way that we give, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. It's true in the way that we attend and we come together to provoke one another. I go back to Hebrews chapter 10, and I can't help but think, if you can remember back a few months ago to David Neal's good series, where he talked about that verse as being appropriate for understanding why it is that we assemble for the purpose of coming together to provoke one another and to stimulate one another and to build up one another in a time of challenge. But let me suggest, secondly, that upkeep is necessary because of decay that will happen if we do not upkeep something. That's true when it comes to your automobile. You don't keep it up, something bad is going to happen to it. You don't keep up your health, you're going to end up in a doctor's office or worse. And here in verse 5, let them deliver it to the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. 
Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Did you notice here in verses 4 through 7 that upkeep is not only necessary because of decay, but upkeep is a participation thing. We are all involved in this together. The New Testament is filled, whether it be in Paul's letter to the, first, to the Corinthians, whether it be in, Paul, in Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, with passages that highlight the importance of teamwork, of working together, and of proving the point that we cannot do this thing alone. David referenced Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 this morning, where it talks about that there are some apostles, and there are some pastors, and there are some evangelists, and they all have their different functions, but we're all on the same team. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to glorify the same God. And so we need to appreciate and admit the need for spiritual upkeep. So we, number one, need to appreciate opportunities. Number two, need to admit our need for upkeep. And let me suggest, thirdly, that we need to accept the power of God's word. If we accept the power of God's word, if we say, yeah, I believe it's powerful. I believe it is that two-edged sword that Paul talks about to Timothy in one of his letters. Then we'll read it and we will obey it. And this is a time of year where people get a little more dedicated to personal prayer and personal study and personal attendance and all that everything because it's a new year with new opportunities. Let's not be a people who, over the course of the last couple of weeks, join with the world and say, Oh, come, let us adore him. And then three weeks later say, Oh, come, let us ignore him. We need to be individuals who adore him, live for him, and live for his word and the goodness found therein. We've already read verses 5 through 7, but go down to verse 8, where it says that Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan, verse 9, the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Shaphan said, showing the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. We'll get to verse 11 in just a moment. But it is very clear here, and we're familiar with the story of Josiah, and we are also familiar with the cyclical nature of the people of Judah, and for that matter, the people of Israel, going all the way back to their, to their commencement, whether that be in the Old Testament book of Exodus, whether that be uh, as famously illustrated in the book of Judges, and now in the time of Kings, where they serve God for a period of time and everything is going swell, and then they serve God no more and things fall apart. And they are left to famine, left to captivity, left to uh, some sort of slavery. And so here we have the people have forgotten and have forsaken God's word, have forsaken his law. And anytime that happens, bad things transpire. The point for us and a clear application for us is when we no longer read our Bibles, study our Bibles, engage and study with others, and do the kinds of spiritual things that we know are important, spiritual decay will set in which is the reason why, secondly, we need to admit our need for upkeep. 
But, verse 11, it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Now, in the 21st century, we don't tear our clothes typically when we get upset over something. But thousands of years ago, it was culturally appropriate and recognized that when you are frustrated or angry or upset with others or with yourself, or sin has now been presented to you, that you would rent your garments, that you tear your clothes and say, this is such a horrible thing and a horrible affair and a horrible offense before my Lord. And so once it was found, it quickly convicted and convinced the heart of the relatively young King Josiah. And then, if you would, notice all the different things that the Word did. This could be a sermon in and of itself, entitled, What the Word Did. But let's just spend just three to five minutes on what the Word did here. Let me suggest three things that the Word did as outlined. Starting in verse 12. The king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Melchiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that was written concerning us. So what is the first thing that ends up happening here? Is the word inspired action. The word inspired action. And we just concluded uh, a recent study of the first half of the book of Acts. We're going to hear a lot about the actions of the apostles when we continue talking about a over, an overview of Acts in relative to 2 Corinthians. But that's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the thoughts of the Apostles. That would not be as powerful of a book, would it? But rather, it's their actions. It's what they did. And so verse 13, he says, Go, talk to the Lord. See what we are supposed to do, because great is the wrath of the Lord, because we have forsook, and our fathers have forsaken the words of this book and all that is written according to us. Well, then, secondly, notice what is written beginning in verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahiakim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Azariah went to Huldah the prophetess. I picked the most difficult text I could possibly pick from the first Sunday of, of, of the month. Son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then notice verses 15 through 17. She said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because, here's why, they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, so that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. And so what does the word do? The word not only inspired these people to action, but the word does the same thing today as it did then in that it illustrated the sinful choices of the past of the people. When you read the word, sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't know that I was supposed to be acting that way. 
Now, a lot of times, as maturing Christians, we already knew it. We just forgot about it, or we chose to forget about it. But sometimes you read something new, and you're like, huh, I'm supposed to be acting differently. I'm supposed to be kinder. I'm supposed to be more patient. I'm supposed to be less uh, egregious in my affairs with others. I'm supposed to be a man of, or a woman of God. That's what the Word does for us. It exposes our sin. And it's like a magnifying glass where you look at your life and you say, am I right or am I wrong? Am I doing what God wants or doing what Satan wants? Am I a slave of God or a slave of Satan, as illustrated in Romans chapter 6? But the Word here illustrated the sinful choices of the people. I couldn't help but think of Romans chapter 3, where Paul wrote to the church there, and this is where he famously says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But verse 20, three verses earlier, says, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You and I understand more of where we've done wrong, and consequently more of where we've done right by reading God's word. And we read his word so that we can please him more. And thirdly, the word reminds us of God's incredible grace, which our brother Dan led us in prayer aptly so this evening, thanking God for that grace that he continues to provide us. Look, if you would, at the last couple of verses. As for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel... Concerning the words which we have heard, and then the beautiful language unfolds. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. You shall, gather, you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So it wasn't a promise of peace going forward in future generations because as we know in the Old Testament, things get worse down the line. But the grace of God was exhibited to Josiah saying, you will not see it. You will not experience it in your lifetime. The fact is, is when we find God's word today, the same three things happen. We see action in our lives, we see the sinful choices, and we see God's grace manifest. What does this all mean to us going forward in 2021? A simple question to close with tonight, and that is, do I need spiritual restoration? I would argue that even if you are at the top of your spiritual dimension, that if, you're, you know, if you've got all six cylinders or eight cylinders or how many you have in your car, uh, if you've got them all firing, if you've got everything going well, if you've got everything going perfectly in your life, first of all, be careful. Let him who thinks he stand thinks because he would fall. But remember the idea of appreciating that we all have room for improvement. And I would argue that with that, we all have a need for spiritual restoration. 
in 2021, there's something somewhere at some time that we can improve on. I know that I can. And I trust that you are men and women of humility. In fact, I know that. And that you would readily admit, yeah, there's areas where I'm going to improve in 2021. How do I do that? The three A's. Appreciate the opportunities. Admit the need for upkeep. And accept the power of God's word. That's what was done thousands of years ago in the days of Josiah. And you know, I could have used probably a half a dozen other texts in the Old Testament to illustrate these same three major points. But I love the story of Josiah. I love his attitude. And my favorite part is verse 19, where your heart was tender, your spirit was broken, your life was in recognition of of the need for change to make improvement to do better. I just love that language. And that's the language that God would use with you tonight, and is using with you tonight if you're not a Christian. He's saying, if your heart is tender and you're ready to make a change, and you want to not just make 2021 better, let's, let's, let's not just think of it from that perspective, but just make eternity better. He says, I'm tenderhearted, I'm gracious, and I will forgive you. We need to do these things, and are you ready for a restoration today? If, as a child of God, you've already made the choice to become one of his children, maybe a year ago, maybe a decade ago, maybe many years ago you made the choice to be baptized, then you made the right choice, but you've left the faith. Maybe you're not as strong as you need to be, and we can help you to grow, to get back to where it needs to be. We would welcome that opportunity. If... We can help you to become a Christian by being baptized this evening. The Bible says that he that believes and is baptized will be condemned or will will be saved, and he that does not will be condemned. It's very clear in the Bible in Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, 1 Peter 3, 21, that there's a relationship between the salvation that we enjoy and that we benefit from and our obedience to God. And that's what we are offering you tonight because that's what God's word offers. We found it. Now let's do something about it. If we can help you in any way, let us know. While together we stand, while we sing.